Well, this morning, we are in the book of Luke. You know, sometimes when uh, we have a special occasion like Christmas or Easter, I'll kind of skip the text and go to uh, a text uh, regarding Christmas or Easter. But uh, this morning, I thought, you know, this is very appropriate for where we are as a community, uh, where we are as a nation today. Uh, We're looking at storms. Uh, The disciples... They find themselves in a storm in Luke chapter Luke chapter eight, and Ridgecrest finds itself in a storm. Manual Baptist Church, Manual Christian School, we find ourselves in in a storm. Um, you know, there's the potential of a sequestration coming up, and I think it's gone from. 22 days to 14 days now. I said 14 weeks in the first service, 14 days. But uh, that's a big deal, uh, especially when families are struggling to make ends meet as it is, and then you uh, include 14 days without, without pay. That's going to make impact. And it's not going to just impact those on the base who are going to be furloughed, but it's going to impact our our community, businesses in our community. It's going to impact our church's ministry. It's going to impact Emmanuel Christian School. I mean, ICS is already in a financial storm, and now with the potential of the furlough, looking at a perfect storm. And so there's fear. There's fear in our community. In fact, I follow one family on Facebook, and... Uh, they had that fear this week, and uh, lo and behold, God answered their prayer and uh, provided them with the income that that they need to provide for their family. Now, he's found a job in Texas. They have to relocate to Texas, but uh, God heard that cry. And uh, I hope that God speaks to you this morning in the middle of your storm. Maybe you're in a storm. If you're not in a storm, guess what? You're headed to a storm, okay, or you're just coming out of a storm. But This is a message that applies uh, to all of us. You know, there's fear with uh, families who drop their children off at school now. Um, Four years ago, I talked about fear on Easter because uh, there had been uh, several, a series of mass shootings between Christmas and Easter. And uh, on that Easter Sunday, it was also the 10 year anniversary of uh, the Columbine massacre. And uh, and we find that same fear today. Sandy Hook and those uh, kindergartners and first graders that were massacred, that was a game changer in in our nation and how we how we provide safety um, for the children in our schools. We have the schools here in Ridgecrest. They are they are going through exercises or are about to go through exercises called shooting drills, preparing children on what to do if a shooter, an evil person, a bad guy comes on campus. How do you reconcile that with five and six year olds? How do you how do you how do you take them through? a shooter drill without just really 
interrupting their lives emotionally. I mean, these are these are naive children. They ought not to have to be exposed to things of this nature. But today, this is the world that we live in. Our Child Development Center is looking at securing the preschool and children areas. Soon there's going to be uh, doors installed where you can only access those areas with a card. We're a church. We weren't thinking in these terms just months ago, but we're now having to go to these kinds of extreme measures. Why? Because we live in an evil world. And man's heart is evil. And we need to do whatever is necessary to protect our children. They're our most valuable resource. And so parents drop their children off at school and are thinking to themselves, are they going to be safe today? And folks, it can happen even in Ridgecrest. In Newtown, Connecticut, where this took place, it was a safe community. They had gone to extreme measures to keep their school safe, and an evil individual shot himself into the school and did such great harm. Folks, the fear is real, and it's there today. And our text this morning addresses fear. So did you come to church this morning with fear in your heart? Are you facing, are you facing a health issue that's bringing fear? Are you looking at a, a, marriage, a marriage relationship that's causing fear? Is it a job? I have fear. I don't know if you heard, but uh, Henry Wade uh, accepted a call as pastor at Inukern Baptist Church. Uh, he was voted as pastor last last uh, Sunday. So uh, he's going to be on a part-time basis with us through the end of June, and then he's going to be with that church full-time. He's our administrator. I don't have... I don't have a lot of administrating skills. And so this is creating fear in my heart because there's some things I'm going to have to learn. So, you know, fear is something that pertains to all of us. But I've got some good news for you this morning. Again, it's Easter. And Jesus is alive. And Jesus' resurrection from the grave is greater than any circumstance that you are facing in your life. And I hope that this message speaks to your heart this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at this storm that the disciples found themselves in with Jesus. Verse 22. One day he got... Try to behave. I don't know what's going on with this microphone. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. 
And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would calm the storm that may be in people's hearts here this morning. Father, it's not an accident that any of us are here. And uh, Lord, I pray that if we're not in a storm, that you will prepare our hearts for when the storm comes. And that, Father, that you would find faith in us as we go through it. Be glorified, Father, in this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The disciples are in a storm. And uh, where's Jesus? Jesus is in the storm with them. And I'm going to turn this thing off. is in the storm with him. And what's he doing? He is fast asleep. Why is he asleep? Well, it could be one of two reasons. One, he's probably very exhausted from all the amount of ministry that he's been doing. Uh, People have been demanding his attention, and he has been giving of himself 110%. I'm kind of echoey here, uh, Ron, so if you can take that echo out, that would be great. Um, but he's, he's given all of himself and, uh, and he's exhausted and he's sleeping through this storm. So it's either that, or he's just resting in the sovereign care of his father. But, uh, he's at peace, but these disciples, they are scared to death. Now, what? transpired why is this storm occurring or what kind of storm is this if you know anything about the geography of uh, the sea of galilee it's below sea level so when there is a, a warm pressure system over the lake it's a huge lake if there's a warm pr- pressure system and a cool pressure system comes over the mountain range um, that meets with this warm pressure system there's going to be a huge storm And that's what's occurring here. There's just a huge storm. The storm is so big that the fishermen, some of the disciples are fishermen. They are scared to death. They think that they're going to lose their life. Now, that is a pretty scary storm. You ever been in a storm like that? I was in a storm kind of close to that, but it wasn't. uh, The lake that I was on wasn't nearly as big as the Sea of Galilee. It was Gull Lake. Gold Lake is just kind of like a, a puddle compared to the Sea of Galilee. But I was up there uh, two years ago with uh, Terry Benham and, and Matt Cropley. And, uh, and if you know anything about the southern, southern Sierras, the eastern Sierras, when uh, these storms can come uh, on top of you really quick and you don't even see them coming because the clouds are hidden by the mountain ranges that stand above these lakes. 
Well, this storm came in and it started pouring and it started hailing and there was lightning in the distance, distance. But, you know, I was with two guys and I wasn't about to show my fear. And I kept looking at Matt Cropley, who's an outdoorsman, a hunter, you know, and he saw the lightning in the distance. And if he wasn't going to be afraid, I wasn't going to be afraid. But the lightning came closer. It was hailing. Terry was was hunkered down. Hail was was building up on top of his back. We weren't catching any fish, but hey, we're fishing. I'm not going to stop fishing. But it finally got to the point where we had to go in. Well, with these disciples, they are panicked. They are just petrified. And they go and they wake Jesus up. And we're going to look at Jesus' response in, in just a moment. But I want to talk about storms. What is the Lord's purpose in storms. You find yourself in a storm this morning. God has a purpose for your storm. It's not an accident. We're going to learn over and over again that Jesus is sovereignly in control of all things. First reasons why storms occur in our life, and it doesn't have to do with this text but it's found in the Bible. Number one is chastisement. Okay? Chastisement, when we are living in rebellion against God, God will cause storms in our life to bring us back into closer fellowship with Him, in a right relationship with Him. Um. In your outline, you'll see Jonah chapters 1 through 3. We know the story of Jonah, don't we? You know, Jonah was supposed to go and be the evangelist to the Ninevites. But uh, Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were the enemies of the Jews. Uh, God wanted to see them repent and be reconciled with God. And Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with that. And so he ran from God. He got on a ship. Uh, was going to sail away, and God created a storm. And Jonah knew that this storm was for him, and he told the people on the boat to cast him out. They cast him over, and God caused a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in the belly of that fish for three days. It's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But God caused that storm in Jonah's life. I want you to look in your Bibles at Psalm 107. Psalm 107. There's a great, this is a great chapter that you need to go and you need to meditate on when you have the opportunity. You know, as as you read through this text, uh, there are some situations that the psalmist mentions that God has created difficulties in people's lives because of their rebellion, because of their hard heart. Verse 11, uh, verse 17. And uh, there has ha- there's been great affliction with these people. But in their affliction, the Bible says they cry out to the Lord. 
And God rescues them. God redeems them. My friend, if you're in a storm this morning, and it's because of foolish choices that you've made, God is using that storm to chastise you. To bring you back into intimacy with him. What do you need to do this morning? The Bible says you need to call out to him. And when you call out to him, God's going to be there to rescue, to redeem you, to restore you. In verse 23 through verse 31, this particular event, people aren't in rebellion. Okay? They're... They're being responsible. But let's let's look at what the text says. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Did you get that? Verse 25. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plot. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed, Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. My friend, if you are in a storm this morning because of your foolish heart or your rebellion or your evil, God hasn't stopped caring for you. He still loves you. And if you will cry out to him, the Bible says he will redeem. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. If you're looking to fill in the blank this morning, It's through difficulty that God wants to demonstrate his care to you. He loves you. But you must cry out to him. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not not asleep. He has a plan and a purpose. Look at Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31. In the Message Bible, the scripture says this, Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me? He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see and imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath. He knows everything inside and out. 
He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Friend, if you're in a storm this morning, don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. What he's waiting for you to do is cry out to him. Call out to him. He has a plan and purpose in your chastisement to bring you back into fellowship with him. If you're here without Christ this morning, surrender your life to Jesus. He cares for you. But not only does God use storms in our lives to chastise us, but God uses storms in our life to strengthen our faith. You see, the disciples, they were obeying Jesus. Jesus had told them to get into the boat, that they were going to cross to the other side of the lake, and they obeyed. Sometimes storms don't come because of our disobedience. Storms come through our obedience as well. The disciples were obeying Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you've said yes to Jesus. And as a result of saying yes to Jesus, you find yourself in a storm. You know, I I said yes to Jesus when I was a senior in high school, surrendering myself to ministry, to his ministry. I remember in high school, people liked me. You know, I didn't have... I didn't really have enemies. But as as I started getting involved in the life of the church and doing church ministry, people didn't always like the decisions I made. And there were sometimes I had difficulty. When I said yes to being pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, I want you to know it's not been a cakewalk. There's been challenges. Some of you have said yes to Jesus in obeying, knowing that he's called you to things and you, found, you have found great difficulty in obeying him. Just because you say yes to God doesn't mean your life is going to be a bed of roses. Jesus said yes to God and it cost him his life. Sometimes Jesus takes us through storms to strengthen our faith. And that's what he's doing with these disciples here. Didn't surprise Jesus that they were in a storm. I mean, the disciples didn't have the weather channel. They didn't know what was on the horizon, but Jesus did. Jesus knew that they were going to be going into a storm. It didn't catch him by surprise. And he had a purpose in these disciples going through this storm. My friend, oftentimes we go through storms in obedience because God is preparing us for greater responsibility 
in the future. And before he can trust us with that greater responsibility, our faith has to be tested. Faith has to be tested before it can be trusted. And that's what's happening with these disciples here. He is testing, he is strengthening their faith. Are you in a storm this afternoon because of obedience? I just want to encourage you, don't let that storm make you bitter. Let that storm make you better. And it makes you better when you trust, when you don't question. So chastisement, strengthening of faith. And the third reason for the storm he brings storms in our lives so that we might know him better. Know him more intimately. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? They learned something new about Jesus. They realized for the very first time that he even has authority over nature. This is the second passage where Jesus is conveying his authority over nature in the book of Luke. The first was when Jesus uh, told Peter to cast his net on the other side and he caught... uh, so many fish, he, he couldn't even drag nets into the shore uh, with all the fish that he had caught. And now here Jesus has rebuked the storm. If you go to Mark chapter 4, how did he rebuke the storm? The Bible says, peace be still. Now this is, was a storm that was raging. The disciples were afraid that they were going to lose their life. And Jesus, all Jesus says is, peace, be still. And immediately the wind and the waves ceased. There was complete calm. It wasn't like, you know, well, the winds calmed down over an hour and the waves kind of uh, leveled out over, you know, a period of time. No. The Bible says that there was immediate calmness. And the disciples experience this and they say to themselves, who is this that he even has authority over nature? My friend, if if Jesus has you in a storm this morning, he's wanting you to learn something new about himself. It took the storm. It took the storm for the disciples to know more about Jesus. They'd seen Jesus do a lot of things. Heal people, cast out demons, feed people. He was a person with great authority, but that was something that he was doing to everybody else. 
But now they are in fear of their very own lives. And Jesus calms the storm in their life and they step back and they have to contemplate who is this? Jesus wants to show you something more about who he is in your life. There is nothing that Jesus doesn't have authority over. Nothing. Even death itself. I don't know what you're facing. A few weeks ago, we looked at one of the miracles Jesus performed when he raised the widow's son back to life. Jesus has authority over even death. I can't imagine anything worse than outliving your own child. And here was this widow leading the procession of her dead son. I mean, she's hopeless. She's in mourning. She's lost her future social security. She wasn't going to have her son to take care of her. I mean, she was at the bottom of the bottom. And Jesus saw this and he stopped the funeral procession and he spoke He didn't speak to the widow. He didn't speak to the mourners that were with the widow. He spoke to the dead son and said, get up. Jesus spoke in the darkest of darkest circumstances and showed his authority over even death. Jesus has authority over Mother Nature. Jesus has authority over the Grim Reaper. Jesus is not afraid of even death. My friends, that ought to give you hope. That ought to increase your faith. You ought to be able, you'd be looking at, at Jesus and say, Who is this? That's what Easter is all about. It's good that we set aside the resurrection day and remind ourselves he is alive. He has authority over everything. There's not anything that's outside of his control. My friend, if he's brought you to a storm, he wants to you to be asking the question as you cry out to him and as he redeems you, let the, let the redeemed of the, let the redeemed of the people say so. I've been redeemed. He wants you to say, who is this? What has he done in my life? He is alive. As I was preparing for this message, I came across this gentleman who um, heard of the greatest Easter sermon ever preached. And uh, it was on a uh, Easter Sunday. It was a small country church. And, uh, you know, that morning the choir was warming up. The musicians were, were practicing and church was about ready to start. And the pastor was nowhere to be found. 
and uh, the service began, and they were singing all the songs. Pastor was nowhere. And so the music director was freaking out. What are we going to do? They concluded the music service, and he sat down. Everybody was quiet. It was an awkward moment. And then all of a sudden, in the parking lot, you heard this car screaming up to the church building. You know, the parking lot was made out of pea gravel, and so you heard the tires racing across this pea gravel, putting on the brakes right outside the building. Guy gets out of the car, slams the door, comes to the church building, barrels through the double doors, and he has this wild-eyed look on his face, and he screams, Jesus is alive! And he walks right outside the door. That was the preacher. That was his sermon. I don't have the guts to preach that kind of sermon, all right? Greatest sermon that was ever preached. Folks, we're here to tell you this morning, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is alive. And he's greater than any storm that you're facing right now. And by faith, he wants you to look to him and say, God, help! And God wants to help. God wants to show you how much he cares. And he's greater than anything that you're going through. And this morning, Jesus is asking, where is your faith? Let's pray. What's the storm? I know some people in our congregation right now, they're in a storm, they're traumatized. They're at the bottom. Ask God to help. Wait on him to redeem you. Ask him to replace that fear with peace. He may not be able to calm the storm on the outside, but he can calm the storm on the inside. Thank you, Father, for this Easter Sunday where we can pause and remind ourselves that you conquered death. You came out of the grave. You're bigger than anything. Father, give us the faith to believe you. May you find faith in us. And as the people of, of God... May we be the redeemed who say so. 
testifying of what you have done, what you will do in the future. Lord, we love you, and we want to acknowledge who you are this morning. It's not the end of the story. You know, I think about Clyde back there, who just lost his wife, Priscilla, a couple weeks ago. This is his first Sunday back in church since her passing. The world would say that Priscilla lost, that Clyde's lost. The story's not over. For Priscilla, life has just begun. And she's going to rise to a perfect, glorified body one of these days. Priscilla is alive today to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Services for Christians are not sad occasions. They're celebrations because they have been promoted. They have been delivered. They have experienced the ultimate miracle. That's our hope. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And he's greater than any struggle you face today. Call out to him.